great evangelist, would you please give an applause to the God that called this man? Brother Nathaniel Wilson, come and preach the word of God. We love you. He's worthy. Let's praise him. Oh, my Lord, you are so worthy. What a God you are. What a God you are. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to take a moment tonight, and I think it's appropriate to comment briefly about the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship just before I preach. Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship, you are setting tonight in its ninth summit. And you can look around you tonight and see that it is rapidly growing as this is by far the largest attendance that we have ever had. And there's probably 300 people in the children's church tonight or more. And we are thankful for the blessings of God. Can you say amen? Amen. We are thankful for the ministries that are going forward. My personal opinion is, is that at this point, and there's never a guarantee that this continues, so you can never be smug about it, that the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship is acting as an edge of the wedge for the entire apostolic movement. Now, if you don't like the WPF, just ignore it and don't be part of the edge of the wedge and set back in the dust somewhere. But it is, it is providing flagship services to our young people, services that have been attested by people that are not even apostolic as being some of the most unique novel and fantastic development programs that they have ever seen. And God is using the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship to accomplish these things. In another 12 months, the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship is the primary sponsor and cause of the premier Bible coming out, which will be the most advanced complete, thorough, and comprehensive apostolic study Bible in the history of the world, period. That's it. Amen. And many, many, many people work on these things and many other things that you've heard about tonight. I want to take a moment tonight to say that when... The Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship began with the six men who were brought together by the Holy Ghost and met right here where we are tonight before there ever was a WPF and collaborated in a great big cabin that had enough bedrooms for everybody. And we met and our wives met. We prayed we sought God, we fasted, 
and talked about the future of the apostolic movement, talked about looking for a preferred future terminology, which was utilized to let everybody know we're not mad at anybody, we're not bitter at anybody. We just know that we have a right to a preferred future and what we see is not where we want to go. And so we're going to try to cut a path. And I want to give honor tonight to Bishop Johnny Godare, who was our first chairman, who was the primary financial backer, he and the First Pentecostal Church of Durham, that caused the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship to be able to get started. And he was also our first chairman. And we will always owe a debt of gratitude to him. Not only did he do that, but this is not flattery, but Johnny Godare is an apostle. If there ever was one or there never has been a definition of an apostle that matched the biblical definition, I am proud that he was our first chairman, and I would like to recognize him tonight. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. You may be seated. The way we decided to do chairman was just to respect elders, and Brother Godare was our first. Our second has not been with us in a number of these summits, but I am humbled and proud that he is here tonight. And that is a man that when I'm in his presence, I feel rough and unhewn compared to the grace and gentleness and yet deep masculine and spiritual strength of our second chairman, Crawford Kuhn. Would you recognize Brother Kuhn tonight? He's sitting right over here. We love you, brother and sister Kuhn. God bless you. Amen. Our third chairman, Brother Floyd Odom, he also was the man that for virtually no remuneration, we did the best we could at the time, went full-time to Tulsa, set up things. We owe him more than anybody else for the orchestration and development of an administrative process that would be first class. And then he led this fellowship with aplomb, a man that is a southern statesman. And I'd like to give honor tonight to Brother Floyd Odom. Amen. You may be seated. These men, along with Brother Larry Booker, who will be installed tomorrow night, and then along with Brother Kenny Godare, were, and myself, they were the men that um, 
just said we feel like we have no choice, but we feel like also that if we do this right and if we never allow ourselves to get off focus to what God wants us to do and just do his work looking forward and never backward, then God will honor our efforts and there will be people that are greater than we are that will join hands and continue to do the work of God in true biblical apostolic fashion. And this has happened. There are men and women who are a part of the WPF, some of them card-carrying, some of them not, but they are definitely a part of the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship because it refuses to draw those lines at that point. And there are men of God that are great on a national, international scale that are dear brothers and dear sisters, many of you that are here tonight, others of you who are probably listening on Holy Ghost Radio, who have helped to create a wind, a storm of apostolic power that is growing in might and in quality and in excellence and is reaching around the world to a greater degree than we, in some ways, than I've ever seen in my lifetime in the ministry, and I've been preaching a little while, and I am thankful tonight to be a part of it from the youngest of the Hope Corps to the kids over here that are being uh, given direction through uh, children's ministries uh, to the oldest member that is here tonight, amen, probably the two uh, oldest, I'm not sure, uh, members of the WPF, our brother uh, B.A. Spell and brother Green, both of whom I've seen here, uh, both from Louisiana. And uh, I, I just think we ought to lift our, I, I just think we ought to stand one more time and lift our hands and thank God for bringing us this far. Would you lift your hands and let's magnify the Lord. Come on, all over the house. My Lord, the Holy Ghost is in this building tonight. While you're standing, I would like to read one verse of scripture to you from Psalm 24, verse number 8. It reads like this. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And in just a few moments here, I want to preach to you tonight on the subject of the strong and the mighty. God bless you. You may be seated. Before I, I do that, I, I, I want to mention, a, a lot of you have bought this book. It's just out. This is the first time it's ever been out. We just completed it. It's a product of many years of work. And um, uh, there's a reason that it's hardback. The reason is, is that we feel like the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship, and the Apost- that it, it, ought to, it ought to have something that's worth doing hardback. And... Um, and it ought to be done. It's not just hardback. It's first-class hardback. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's gold-embossed. It's, it's got a great dust cover. It's got comments from wonderful people that's already read it. Um, it is apostolic on everything from Godhead to holiness to uh, Holy Ghost to salvation to um, whatever we could think of to include. Um, I'm saying that because I'm going to say something else. It's over 500 pages long. 
It is not a book that you can just pick up and read like you're reading the story of someone's life. And I'm saying this because I'm vitally concerned about the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship being the most apostolic in terms of knowledge of God's word and knowledge of God's ways and knowledge of a Pentecostal. You read all of these evangelical commentaries, there is a dramatic difference in in apostolic Pentecostal theology and those theologies. And it, and it takes a little while before it begins to dawn on you that when I was raised up, I was not raised up reading Pentecostal theology because there wasn't any. I had to read the others and then, then my elders and me had to figure out how to decipher where we are in all of that maze. So I do recommend this. However, I don't recommend anybody read this. If you're a beginner tonight, you need to start with this book, which is the man of God and his work, and don't read this book until you've read this book. This is beginner. This is elementary school, but it's important. Don't read this book until you've read this book. This is a pretty good sales pitch, isn't it? Don't read this book until you've read this book, because this book will make a lot more sense if you've already read this book. Okay, this is for very mature Christians and ministers, but this one is in our ranks. This is advanced, so you may have to read things half a dozen times. It does make sense. If it doesn't make sense to you, don't say it doesn't make sense. It makes sense, but keep reading it till you get it, because if it finally explodes in your mind, you're going to be transformed to a person because revelation transforms us. You're going to be transformed to a person that there's no other way to get there than revelation from the word of God. There's no other way to get there. Amen. Praise God. So all of the Hope Corps already read this one. If any of you Hope Corps haven't read this one, come up here and I'll give it to you. And if anybody hadn't read this one, come on up here and I'll give this one to you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. So, I want to preach to you for a little while tonight. I recognize that it's 9 o'clock. All of you got restaurants that got to get to tonight it's really important and so I'll try to keep all that in mind you got to get to the buffet I didn't make this up but how does that big ugly fat folks eating together acronym for buffet I shouldn't have said that. But I will mitigate the damage by telling you I like buffets. (laughs) Amen. I want to preach to you for a little while tonight about the strong and the mighty. And I think that apostolic minds are great minds that when they are informed by the Spirit, they are like no other minds. 
And I also thank the apostolic mind who lives a life separated from this present evil world, to use biblical language, is perfectly aware that it is separate from others. And there is a temptation to go down to find acceptance. There is a temptation to sacrifice the high and the sacred for the trivial. And for a shallow fellowship, or rather a shallow togetherness, I should say, that is passed off as fellowship. And it also knows that um, this bridge is uncrossable between the down and the up uh, in order to help the down unless they are willing to cross the bridge from below and come on up. I would say to you <coughs> that the apostolic mind and spirit, which is a great apostolic mind and spirit, is under attack in our day and its nobility and its sanctity is being attacked and things that are high and holy are being mocked and even sobriety is being ridiculed and the sacred is made common by people who are in Pentecost who have become, for lack of a better word, what I would say are little they are obsessed with baubles and trinkets and trivia. I hate to tell you this, and I'm not going to end on this. I'm just saying it in passing that much of even apostolic Pentecost has exhausted its vision. And as being truly apostolic and Pentecostal is on its way to extinction. It is caught in the present and the changing rather than the universals and the unchanging. And although we have to brush our teeth and polish our shoes and take care of all of the practical things of life, there is no way for us to reduce what we are in to the mundane and it still be what it is. It is always going to have an aura of wonder and awe and unpredictability. You can never box it up, program it, put it on a one, two, three card. It is not going to happen. It is dynamic. It is experiential. It comes from a living, ongoing relationship with God. And you cannot have it if you don't want that. Oh, let's thank him for the reality of the Holy Ghost tonight. Amen. But in the Bible, the apostles themselves was a small group that had deep insight into reality and into destiny and into the source and nature of spiritual power. And they bonded together in an enterprise whose success almost defies belief. The Bible preserves this treasury of great deeds and great men and great thoughts.
that were necessary to nourish this new world that the Holy Ghost brought to them. And in our times, which are small and tawdry and greasy and dirty and Hollywood-ish and everything is shallow and has to do with the surface and a time in which we see any idea of the deep and the great and the noble being tramped underfoot and counted as nothing. In the middle of all of that, the prescription for that, the remedy for that is not to join it, but the remedy for that is the great and is the heroic and is the classic and is a fulfillment of the scripture in Joel 3.9 that says, Wake up the mighty men. And I want to tell you tonight here at the outset that I think that everything we're doing has merit. I think our, for lack of a better term, programs, our, our ideas that are being uh, expanded like you heard tonight, novel and exciting ideas to get the gospel to people. All of these things and our fundraising, all of it is critical and important, as you know, to the task. But to really have, to really continue to be something that matters as a movement, to, to really make a world-class difference, which we are capable of, to really do that, it's not in any of that. It's not in learning some things. To do that, it's in somebody being what the world detests right now that is truly strong and truly mighty. And without that, you do not have biblical leadership. When you read your Bible, the Bible uses strong or mighty over 500 times. And you will find a strong hand brought thee out of Egypt. Can you say amen? And you will find three times in Deuteronomy the phrase be strong. And you will find three times in Joshua the phrase be strong. And you will find in Judges 1, when Israel was strong, they put the Canaanites to flight. And you'll find, as you know, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And when you read about a wise man in Proverbs 24, 5, it says a wise man is strong. And when you Look at the king of glory. It says, who is this king of glory? The Lord and strong and mighty. And so before I really get a little deeper into this, let me say that, and some of you won't quite get this probably, but the only way to have strong is to focus on strength. Focusing on weakness produces more weakness. Only strength can help weakness.
in the church, the only way, the only way to make the weak stronger is to make the strong stronger. The church does not, and the principles of God do not operate off of catering to weakness. We're not talking about being compassionate. We're not talking about being gentle. We're not talking about being crude and rude, dude. That's not what I'm talking about. But you don't ever get strength by catering to weakness. Uh, you have to have strength uh, for weakness to come to, to find strength. Oh, let's thank God for the strength of the Holy Ghost. So it's not wisdom when you let people live in defeat. And it's not wisdom when you let the church just go to pot in terms of all kinds of strong preaching and strong teaching and strong standards and strong doctrine. The people that allow those things to dissipate are only revealing that they don't have revelation. Because conviction is a child of revelation. And when you don't have conviction that you'll stand up and preach without fear or favor, it means you've not got into the Spirit far enough to get revelation. Because only revelation produces the kind of conviction that's necessary to stand in this world and turn it to God instead of them turning us to the world. Let's thank God for revelation and let's thank God for conviction. Amen. This is why the gospel's always been confrontational. Listen, folks, it's not going to change. It doesn't mean it's ugly, but it's confrontational. Amen. And the gospel is always polarizing. The one word, repent. There is no more polarizing word. That means wherever you're going, you got to turn around. And people that denigrate repentance, and people that denigrate separation, and people that denigrate turning away from a worldly lifestyle, they don't have understanding. Or else they're just compromisers. Uh, but they don't have understanding. The church has got to be strong, and it's got to be mighty, if it's going to be anything. Come on, let's praise him a little bit. Our God's mighty, he deserves praise tonight. You may be seated. The Bible says, praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments, his seed. That man's seed shall be mighty upon earth. And so, there are, there's a mighty God. Psalm 68 tells us there's mighty enemies. The psalmist said, the mighty are gathered against me. And so if we're just mice, we're not going to have a chance against the mighty enemy. When we face the mighty enemy... We have to find a way to have courage and faith that says my mighty is bigger than your mighty. 
And I am not backing up and I'm not equivocating. My mighty will take dominion over your mighty. The Bible tells us that there's mighty generations. The Bible says, give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. And in that case, that word mighty there actually is connected unquestionably with sons. So it would be more like, give unto the Lord, O ye mighty sons. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. God doesn't want some wobbly little praise. God doesn't want some wobbly little life. God doesn't want some little wobbly uh, dedication. God wants a people. And when you read the history in the Bible, the history of God's biblical leaders, greatness in Israel's history is tied to mightiness of the leadership. When they didn't have mighty leadership, they went down. When they had mighty leadership, they went up. You ought to pray, God, give your pastor grace and courage. You ought to pray he preaches with love, but without fear or favor. You ought to pray that money doesn't turn him, that debt doesn't turn him, that opposition doesn't turn him. That's the beginning of making something that's going to go. It's not all of the other extracurricular stuff we're doing. That's only working because at the base of it, uh, there's a revelation about mightiness uh, and strength. Oh, let's praise our God again. What's prized today in our world is the safe, the conservative, the average. People leveraging every possible action toward security. And even in the church, that which comes out larger than life is frantically opposed and terribly feared. And the knee-jerk reaction is try to tear it down. When in fact, if it's on and of the Holy Ghost, it's the only hope we've got, folks, uh, is that we get revelation that's larger in life that steps out and says, I'm going to take this little ragged bunch of people... And I'm going to create a worldwide upheaval. So we're talking about a group with purpose and vision and direction and courage. Somebody says, well, I know somebody in the group that's not perfect. Well, if you're a part of it, I do too. Because we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about a faultless group. That's not what this is about. People who criticize because of imperfection, 
They just don't get what's going on. God's going to honor the strong and the mighty that's got a pure heart. Every action they do may not be perfect, but they've got a pure heart. God's going to honor it. I'm telling you, I expect to see God do things that's going to blow people's minds. Why don't you just get on board and join up and say, I'm with the strong and the mighty, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Bible talks about the chief of the mighty men which David had who strengthened themselves I'm reading a scripture the chief of the mighty men which David had who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel chief of the mighty men which David had who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom. Mighty men get a revelation that the synergistic effect of mighty men coming together without killing each other and without losing the individual touch that they know God's rested upon them or bartering it away to try to be like somebody else, that those mighty men, when they come together and mighty women, that there is One horse is one horsepower, but two horses are seven horsepower. And so goes the combined effect. Not a unity that's based upon weakness. Not a unity that caters to the lowest common denominator. Not a unity that's just disgusting because it's it's, it's, it's really just trying to hold things together in an artificial and plastic way but a unity that's based upon people of strength and might coming together and collaborating in the things of God and believing God for great things, willing to risk and willing to gamble if you please and willing to say, if faith says it, I'm going there and I will have it or I will die because a life without that is not worth living. Certain verses stand out in Israel's chronicles. Listen to this. And the sons of Bela, five in number, mighty men of valor. Mighty men of valor. The sons of Bela, five in number. Who was Bela? I have no idea. I'm not even going to try to tell you what it means in the Hebrew. It wouldn't be enough. You couldn't get it. Who's Bela? Well, I I wish I had a biography of him, but I don't. But Bela... Raised five boys. And all five boys were mighty. That's the kind of boys I want to raise up in our church. That's the kind of boys I want my boys to be. That's the kind of boys the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship better be focused on producing. Is 
boys, all five of which were mighty. We're talking about young men here that grow up to be mighty men of valor, strong. And I write unto you young men because you are strong. Maybe seated. Here's another verse. All these the sons of Jediel. Mighty men of valor. I don't know who Jediel was. How did this guy do this? What kind of women did they have for mothers that produced such mighty men where all of their sons were men of strength and mightiness. Here's another one. And the sons of Ulam were mighty men of valor, archers and so forth. And he had many sons and sons' sons. Mighty men of valor. You talk about generational transfer. You're talking about Ulam. Who is Ulam? I don't know who Ulam was, but evidently there were so many mighty men of valor that nobody got the permanent spotlight because they were all mighty men of valor. And this man's sons were mighty men of valor. He was a mighty man of valor. His sons were mighty men of valor. And his sons' sons were mighty men of valor. They were all part of a family that had a transfer of mightiness. Oh God, granite, 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 granite. And of course there's the pinnacle story of mightiness by a young man and that's David. The story of David and Goliath. The story of mightiness of revelation of what it means to be a covenant kid. You come to me with a spear and a sword. You come to me with many pounds of armor. You come to me and you're nine and a half, ten feet tall. You come to me cussing and swearing, spitting and laughing and defying me. I come to you in the name of the Lord. How could he come in the name of the Lord? Because he kept the covenant of being a child of God. But when you're running with the world and you've covenanted with the world and you've covenanted with your sports team and you've covenanted with your Hollywood stars and you've covenanted with your movies uh, and you've covenanted with your makeup and you've covenanted with your television and you've covenanted with every other ungodly, filthy thing of weakness that's in the world... Uh, then you expect to come to church and have a covenant of mightiness that can pull down giants. It's not going to happen. You have to say, I have been a shepherd on the backside of the desert of the sheep. And I have been faithful to my calling. And now here I am in the mightiness of the Holy Ghost. Come on, let's praise him again. And you know the story. David had three mighty men. Adino. 
People were attacking the kingdom and he lifted up his spear and slew 800 men by himself at one time. I don't know how he did it. it seemed to me like there was 800 guys as big as I am and we just ran at him and we didn't have anything. He couldn't kill all 800 of us before we choked him. That's probably what that 800 thought. But now they're dead. <laughs> because he was mighty. I want to scare you tonight. We become so milk toast. We're so, we're so afraid of strength. Young men, want to, they don't want to work out too much because they don't want muscles to show up on their smooth suit. second one was Eliezer, the son of Dodo. If your daddy's a Dodo, you can still be something. I don't have any heritage. My dad's a drug addict. My mom is a Dodo. My daddy's a Dodo. He you can be mighty even if your daddy's a Dodo. He defended the land. His hand claved to the sword. Third mighty man defended the bean patch. Man, I... I always hate it when I get to this scripture because somebody thought of a good application of it that's better than mine was. My conscience won't ever let me use it without giving Brother Steve McBullen credit. Rascal. He said, what in the world was he fighting over a bean patch? Well, somebody just told me the other day he wasn't fighting over the bean patch. He's fighting over the soil, the land. He wasn't going to give an inch of the land that God had given to God's people. wasn't about the beans, it was about the land. Brother McMullen said, you can decide not to fight about the bean patch because the bean patch probably wasn't worth very much. But most likely what Shammah was thinking about was that next to the bean patch is the corn patch. And if you're not willing to fight over the bean patch, then you're going to have to fight over the corn patch. And... You know, you could give them the corn patch too, but if you don't fight over the corn patch, it's next to the watermelon patch. And if you lose, now you all can preach this at home, you don't have to give anybody credit. Unless your saints are listening to Holy Ghost Radio and then they're going to say, does he get anything to preach besides what Brother Wilson preaches? Oh, Jesus, just kidding. So if you don't fight for the bean patch, you don't fight for the corn patch, then you got to fight for the watermelon patch. So it's like the guy in Kansas who had a little dog, and he had a six-foot chain-link fence around his little dog, and another brother, this is a true story, and another preacher evangelist went there and saw it out on the back porch, and they lived out in the country, and he said, he come back in laughing, he said, your dog's only this high, and you got a six-foot fence around your dog. He can't jump out of that. And the pastor said, I didn't make that fence to keep my dog in. I kept that fence there to keep the coyotes out. And so, sometimes you need some good fences around the bean patch. Mm. 
Boy, when you let down. Oh, we'll let them have the bean patch. All right, get your stuff out. You're going to have to fight for the corn patch. Yeah. And then if you don't go, if you don't, you know, somebody says, well, I don't know about sleeve links and I don't know about knee links and I don't know about all of that going to seed on all of that. Well, that may be bean patch level stuff, but brother, it won't be long till you're going to be talking about corn patch stuff. And after you get through with that, you're going to be talking about watermelon stuff. And after that, you're going to be, and then they're going to get up to the barn and you still haven't done anything. And the barn's in danger of being taken because you were some little, some little flaky something that never got it in you. That apostolic stand for thing. They're firm. They love. They care. But they're not backing down. Come on, let's clap our hands and praise him. And once they take the barn, there's nothing left but the house. And some folks' houses are on fire. Brother Morton said the house is on fire. Get out while you can. <laughs> Amen. Besides those three mighty men, there were 30 mighty men under those three. So it shouldn't take more than a couple hours to get through these 30. One of those 30, you know I'm not doing that. One of those 30 was Abishai. Guess who Abishai was? He was David's younger cousin. And he lifted up his spear against 300 and slew him. And then there was Benaiah. Slew two lion-like men of Moab. Ah! Well, I don't know if that's what a lion-like man is or not. I mean, it just seems, that's just what comes to my mind when I think of a lion-like man. Ah! But Benaiah went, gah, back. And he slew a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. What does that mean? Well, probably outside of the pit, the wind was blowing the snow and it was cold. And they were traveling and they finally came to a place they could get out in the pit and get out of the wind. And they got ready to jump down in the pit and they looked down and God. The world's full of God. And so... Either the lion stays warm or they stay warm. Benaiah goes down, kills him. The Bible says Benaiah slew an Egyptian who had a spear and he took his spear away from him and all he had was a little stick. And he took the spear away from the Egyptian and slew the Egyptian with his own spear. Man, that preach right there. My God. That would evermore preach. You could preach the evermore hide off of that. Asahel was another of David's cousins. Don't tell me it don't matter who you run with. It matters who you run with. You run with a bunch of compromising cowards and you're going to end up to be a compromising coward. 
Hey, listen to me for just a minute. You listen to me for just a minute. I don't care how strong and mighty you are. Any man on this platform, myself included, anybody in this auditorium, if you run long enough with weakness, it's like strapping a dead man to your back. Eventually, the pollution of the dead body and the maggots and everything else is going to get through your skin. You better find strength to run with if you want strength. And you better not hide somewhere and never show up and never participate and isolate yourself. I know good brethren. You may be sitting. I know good brethren who think you're compromising unless you isolate. I'll just tell you this. Isolation always eventually leads to distortion. Whether it's in the world or whether it's in the church. We were made like Naboth's vineyard to lay hard against the king's castle. We were made to lean hard against this world. The church is not supposed to be isolated from the world. It's separated from the worldliness. But it's not isolated. We wouldn't even have a purpose if we're not in the world doing and working and praying. Preaching and witnessing and going. That's the purpose of the church. To get into the world and work it over. Asahel. Asahel and Abishai were brothers to Joab, who was David's general and also David's cousin. Sometimes Joab was a strong man. And unless you're able to lead Joab, who wasn't easy to lead, he could be destructive. So weak leadership tries to kill somebody like Joab. But if the leadership's strong enough, it gets the benefit of the power of that man. That's why in the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship, we don't want people judging people on all kinds of levels uh, because there can be people that are smaller than bigger people and they feel threatened by them and they want to knock them down when in fact there's something those people have to contribute to the work of God that we desperately need. God give us the grace to embrace strength instead of trying to destroy strength. Then there was Elhanan. He was a brother to Eliezer, another son of Dodo. He was one of the three mightiest. God, give us more Dodo family. On second thought, God, understand how I mean that. The Bible says there are mighty men that helped David against a band of rovers. I could preach about rovers that come through local churches and men in local churches that are strong enough to stand with the pastor 
when people are attacking him and people are making fun of him and people are criticizing him and they're sitting in churches that are blessed of God and healthy and they've got a robust place to worship but they're so confused and so mixed up and so blinded that they criticize the very thing that is creating that atmosphere which is strong, God-anointed, wise, grace-filled leadership. And without it, you don't have great churches, and you don't have great saints, and you don't have great miracles. Almost done with this. Jonathan, David's nephew. David's nephew. Got in a fight with a man of great stature. A man who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Six fingers. Six toes. You talk about balance, lateral movement, dexterity. I wish I had time to preach about giants, but I don't. Giants never bluffed. You never find one giant on the Lord's side. In the whole Bible. Giants are freaks. And that's the demonic world of intimidation. That they're big. And they believe in themselves. And they're athletic. But we're not giants. We're giant slayers. By the power of the name of our God. But you're not going to get away without facing giants. And whoever this guy was, he was a brother of Goliath. Who were sons of the giant. Whoever their dad was, he was the giant. And it says, but when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of... Simeon, David's brother, slew him. While he was going to meet him, he was thinking, I know how Uncle David did it. He was thinking to that giant, you're thinking of how Goliath did it. I'm thinking of how Uncle David did it. And he brought him down. Of these giants, it says, these were born unto the giant in Gath. And they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Mighty. There was Sibachai who slew Sap. He was a Sap. Which was one of the sons of the giant. Here's another one. So there probably was four, at least four sons and maybe some grandsons of the giant. But these are men that took them on and weren't afraid. Well, maybe they were afraid. But even if they were afraid, they made their courage walk through their fear. You're never going to be anything, Hope Court. None of us ever going to be anything if we stop every time there's a fear that we're going to lose a battle. If we stop every time it's not a guarantee at the other end, then we're not going to ever have much. Uh, you got to step on out and say, all I've got is faith 
the promise of God, the call of God, and I am not backing up. If we're going to transfer something to our kids, that's the kind of thing we need to transfer to them. And then there was, in King James we call him Ish-Bibinob. Yish-Bobinob is really more correct, but it don't matter. We'll call him Ish-Bibinob. He was one of the sons of the giant. May have been a brother of Goliath, may have been a nephew of Goliath. Get this now. David's old. He's still able to fight. And he's still confident that he can take him down. The weight of this guy's spear was 300 shekels of brass. The Bible says David went down and fought against the Philistines. He's strong. Not quite the man he used to be. There was a day he'd have chewed him up and spit him out. But he engages the battle. He didn't back up. But the Bible says David David waxed faint. He did his best. But he, to his horror, discovered he wasn't the man he used to be. Abishai. We saw Abishai way back here. A nephew or younger cousin sees his uncle or older cousin about to go down. Doesn't have the strength. I'm so glad you're here tonight, Elder Kuhn. You're a giant killer. However, I saw that cane. I'd never seen you with a cane before. You still got it, but it's a little different. It's a little different. I had to leave the service today, Brother Go there while you preach, but I heard you on Holy Ghost Radio giving an exhortation, my heart was touched. Just had that transplant. It looks like you're going to be all right, but thank God you're taking your time to recover here. But if there wouldn't have been an Abishai, the younger cousin of David, the nephew of Goliath, the downline giant genealogy. 
where he killed that first one. But now there's a downline genealogy. The giant genealogy would have got him. Unless the church produces giant slayers to the degree the world produces giants, the church loses. So I went down about five years ago. I'm 70, I was 65 then. I decided I was going to go down and get in shape. I went down to the gym several months, worked out, doing good. Finally got up to where I said, I'm going to, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be Superman, but I want my body to not fail me. So I got to take a little more care of it. So one of my goals was in pressing was to be able to do three sets of 220 or 225, three sets of 10. And I got to that point and I felt pretty good about it. I went home. After I got where I could do that, you know, two or three days a week, every week, then I went home. I wanted to tell Sister Wilson. Come up here, baby. Come up here and set up here. Would you guys make place for her up here? Yes, that's you, Mrs. Mary Wilson. I wanted to let her know. I wanted to let her know. I wanted, I wanted to tell you, baby, what a hunk you got. Set right up here. Where I can look in your baby blues. I wouldn't trade you for a truckload of dead baby bears. That's a big compliment. And I wanted to tell you, but I don't think I ever did. Because I knew you wouldn't understand what it meant. For a 65-year-old man to be doing three sets of 10 at 225. So I got kind of frustrated. So I went and told some other people. So I'm down in the club one day. <clears throat> I don't know who I told. I can't remember. But I said, well, I finally got up to where I can do my three sets of 10 at 220 or 225. Said, I'm feeling pretty good about it. They said, yeah, your son-in-law, Miles, was in here the other day. Said the, the club record for a certain kind of lift is, it was either 360 or 380. Said, he did 340. That's five years ago. I've never been back to the club since. Forget it. But you see, and that's no lie, but you see, it don't matter how long I work out, Brother Godare, or how hard I try, I'll never get back. Now, there would have been a day I might have could have come closer to competing, but I'll never get back there. That's not going to happen. And so, 
What I have to do tonight is I have to preach in a way that there's some younger guys and gals that get a hold of this and say, we're going to rise up and be mighty. It ain't going to be no less in the next generation than it is in this generation. We're going to be standing tall. But you see, but you see, you can't do that on 12 units and one ITW. If we're talking about world class, you're going to have to know stuff about the Bible that's as much as anybody else in the world knows about the Bible. That's what Wilson University is about. It's apostolic from stem to stern. But you got to say, well, I don't know if that's for me. It's for you if you want to be mighty. It's for you if you want to be strong. You can be seated. And I'm not saying everybody's got to go there. I'm just saying our, op- our options are limited. And there's, there's a thousand other ways to be strong and mighty. All of them are necessary in the church. But I still got it. Boston, come up here. I'm going to tell you something, boy. Come on up here. This is my grandson. Let me tell you something, Boston. I can out push up you any day of the week. And you weigh 190 and I weigh 147, which gives me an advantage. Let's do a contest in front of these people, okay? You get down and do five, and then I'll do five, and we'll keep doing that until somebody gives up. Okay. You're first. Five. Down. All right. Good. All right. Good. All right. No, that's good. Stop. All right. Sat down up here by your grandma somewhere. Those were hard. I'm just saying. Weakness. Weakness in marriage. Now my wife and I have never talked about this. But I've often, I know what the history of the aging of women tells us in the books, okay? That when a woman who is beautiful and knows it, and if you don't think a woman is beautiful doesn't know it, you're naive. They know. And if they're acting like they don't know, they're trapping you. They know. But I know also, it's like Charles Mahaney, a bunch of apostolic preachers were on, a, and their wives were on a, on a jet coming back from some conference, and they were all sitting on a jet, and this stunningly beautiful woman got on the jet. She wasn't an apostolic. She was just stunningly beautiful, and everybody just got kind of quiet. And when she walked by Charlie Mahaney, he said, good job, Jesus. 
Only Charlie. Maybe that's why God killed him. No, I'm kidding. He made it. The fact that he made it ought to give everybody hope. I'm just kidding. But when, when you turn 40, baby, I've often wondered if there may have been a time or two that the normal human thought ran through your mind and tempted you to say, I'm getting a little older. I'd like to prove I still got it. And maybe a fleeting thought come by and say, why don't you see if you still got it enough to lure somebody. Or a man gets 45 and he gets a little frantic about proving that he's still got it. I'm talking about strength and weakness. And there's the temptation to be flighty with younger women and all that goes with that. Don't sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. And if you're guilty, just look straight ahead and say, praise the Lord. But, but we need strong marriages because marriage is strength. Because attack on marriage is attack on the human race. An attack on the human race is an attack on the image of God. And an attack on the image of God is an attack on God. And so, and so, if those thoughts ever come, we've now been married 50 years and some of you have been married longer. If those thoughts ever come, her 40 was almost 30 years ago. My 45 was 26, 25 years ago. But through all of that, we had to say, no, we're going to be strong. We got children. We got grandchildren. We got the kingdom of God. We've got purpose. We've got a reason to live right. And by God's grace, we're going to be strong. And we're going to be mighty before God. I doubt if there's anybody in here that's counseled more gay, homosexual people than I have. And my record of counseling them is some successes, some smashing successes, and some failures. But mostly were successes one way or another. They may have died of AIDS, but they died speaking in tongues. So I've had a lot of experience with it. And what I want to tell you is, is that you don't need to get all terrified about everything. That is definitely a sign of the decadence of a society. But it's also a sign of weakness. Fearing that because it's strong is not the right posture. 
You need to fear it because it's weakness. The literature in the gay community will validate what I'm saying. The literature, the gay community is filled with candid admissions of self-loathing. Self-loathing that drives them to abandon themselves seeking desperately for an escape from these pressures. I'm thinking of one precious woman of God who was raised in a family, as far as I know, all of her brothers were homosexual, all of her her folks may have been, I don't know, her family. It was a generational thing. She came, got the Holy Ghost. And I think I probably counseled her every Sunday night or every other Sunday night or so for two or three years. That one woman, she wasn't what you would call attractive. She, was, she wasn't ugly. She just was just a woman who had been caught. But she got the real Holy Ghost. We baptized her in Jesus' name. Half the time she loved me and half the time she hated me. Because love-hate relationships with authority is indicative of that condition. And when she would get bad and blame me for things, I would say, well, that that may be true, but I still love you. You're going to make it. And three or four minutes later, she'd be crying and say, I got to make it. That's been years ago. How long? 15 years probably she's been in our church. She's still in our church. She never went back. She loves God. I'm not throwing stones. I don't want anybody to think I'm anti anything except sin and that which is destructive to people. I am anti that. And that happens to be and that happens to be destructive to people. That lifestyle happens to be destructive. If you disagree in America, you've got a right to disagree, but so do I. I've counseled a lot of people. Amen. I've been up close to it. I've watched them die. I've seen them with so many diseases, 13 diseases in their eyes alone, where they could hardly move, where their friends and the deepest hospital in San Francisco in the gay community where they were dying in the Ralph Davis Medical Center and walk in and and they're laying there and they've got glasses and 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 their friends hate that I'm even there and and, and me and brother Randy Keys and we walk in and and we and we go to the side of the bed and, and I haven't seen, I was his youth leader and I haven't seen him for 20 years and he is the leader of a big corporation deal and and he's an educated man but he's deep into the lifestyle and he's laying there dying and he's only got hours left and he said I, w- I won't see anybody unless it's brother price or, or unless it's brother nate or or brother randy and we went to his bedside and he was 11 and i was 15 when i was his youth leader now it's been years since i've seen him and i go into that hospital my god you could feel it everywhere and we walk to the bedside and, and i'll call him john that's not his name john this is Nate, and this is Randy with me. And he doesn't say anything. And his little wife that had been faithful to him for years in spite of the fact they didn't live together, he says to her, put everybody out except Nate and Randy. And all of his friends have to wait outside. 
And as sure as I'm standing on this platform, the Holy Ghost said, tell him you love him. And I said, uh, John, I just want to tell you something. I love you. And Randy loves you. He reached up his little old thin wrist wasn't over that big around. He was already blind. He reached up on the side of the bed and found my hand and gripped it. He said, Brother Nate, I've been so bad. I've been so bad. You don't know how bad. I said, yeah, but that doubt of unbelief, that that giant of unbelief, you got to tackle him. Humans are made in the image of God. I don't care how beat up they are. They're still made in the image of God. They can be redeemed. I said, John, you don't have much time. And I know you don't have much strength. But in just a few seconds, Randy and I are going to start praying. We're going to pray till the Holy Ghost comes in this room. You've been baptized in Jesus' name. You know the truth. It may be the last strength you ever use, but I want you to use your strength. When you feel the Holy Ghost, get your hands up no matter what it takes. And open your heart to God. And he's going to wash you. We prayed. The Holy Ghost came in the room. He could barely raise those fragile arms. He got them up. But to me, it was like, devil, it's years later. You whipped me when I was 15. I couldn't help him. The problems were too complex for my young, immature mind. I couldn't make it all right. We all try, but I, could, I, I regretted for years. I couldn't. How come I couldn't help him? And, and, but here's one last chance. And while I'm loving him, I'm going to smash you right in the mouth. All right, all right, John. Your hands are up. Let the Holy Ghost go. You know what I'm talking about. Let it go. And he began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. I'm telling you, we need strength. We need to, we need the mightiness. We need not be afraid of what we face. But a generation is coming. Come up here real quick, Rick. Ellen. Randy. Anybody else that's close to our ministerial kids? London. Steve, you here? Whoever you are. Come on. Come on up here. If you're, if you're a preacher, Paul, Lori, Becky, come on. I can't even see out there hardly, so I, if I miss you. There's others here. Where's Greg that preached this morning? Steve. Where's Dave? Where's Karen? Where's... Hey, hey, let me tell you something. Gerardo, BJ, 
Stephen Jones. And let me tell you, these people and a lot more like you. Pastor Miles, step out in front here a little bit. Just like many of you, these people aren't perfect. All of these people haven't come to the apex of their ministry yet. Maybe none of them. Maybe none of us. But I want to tell you something. There have been giants that my health will not, I just don't have the stamina. I used to feel like I could take on the whole Goliath family at one time with a cup of water. And I still feel that way, but I know I'm lying to myself. But I want to tell you, these people can go when I can't go. The tenacity of these blue shirts sitting down here. The grit and the ability to get single-minded focus and stay with it through the smoke and the fire and the dark and the dirt and the devils and the doubt. They got it and those that don't are going to get it. And they're going to do it. In Jesus' name. When it's all said and done, when all the spit and polish is put on and everything's made to look glossy and shiny, I'm going to tell you, down underneath that, if it's not the strong and not the mighty, it's not going to have much engine. It may look shiny, but it ain't going very far. And it ain't going very fast. You've got to have strength because we come against mighty strong holds. But we have a mighty God. Music. I want, the, I want the hope core to come first. Stand right up here, as close as you can get. And I want all of us to stand tonight. Every one of us to stand. I want you to come. I want you to come if you would. Just come on up here. Quickly as you can. Hope Corps first, but, but everybody's able to stand up. Come on. All right, church, let's move out. Everybody. This is a friendly, this is a family church. You're welcome to come to our altar. Come on. Let's move up. Let's say, God, I'm going to be part.